amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. It's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello, so we're back for the final word on the FPL season just gone. It's been mesmerising, baffling and a great ride. And I'm really glad I'm joined this fine Saturday FPL this afternoon by Nick for one final time. How are you doing, mate? Hey, Tom. Yep, I'm doing well, thank you. I'm sad, obviously, that it's our final pod of the season, but equally looking forward to the summer to focus on home life and work and recharge the batteries before next season. Of course, you know this already, but the final time this season, we are Who Got The Assist. You can find us on Twitter at WGTA underscore FPL, online at whogottheassist.com, and make sure to follow us, subscribe, and tell your friends. Indeed, your family as well, if you like what you hear. Thanks, Nick. So this pod's a bit of a look over the season to some extent, but also looking to the future based on the trends we're seeing in the data. We've had about a week or so to play with it, haven't we, Nick? And uh, what we think may happen next season, so a little bit of future gazing, if you will. We'll cover our kind of record with hits this year, how we think choice will be affected by prices next year, and some impacts of that. So looking at the data, mining for points per value, um, some hypotheses around the death of the third forward, some initial thinking on talisman theory, that's the power of players who carry their teams, such as Zaha and Onaltovic in the second half of the season. Yeah, and we're going to do a final roundup of the anti-metas, a final non-watch, which we're very sad about, and also a, a quick section. Instead of market forces, where we're just going to talk about our prospecting the prospects, write-ups, and our plans for the summer. And then we'll round up also with a look at the Who Got the Assist Mini League before closing. Cool. Uh, so Nick is the victor between the two of us and the victor in our little cash mini league as well. I guess it's time. Uh, how did your season end? So I finished off with overall rank of 17k. I mean, it's great to finish in the top 20k, but I, I'm, I'm a little disappointed, to be honest, just because at one point I was sitting in uh, the top 6k. I was dreaming of that uh, three figure finish. However, I think I might have felt a little bit of vertigo at my high rank. And uh, despite a sort of fantastic free hit, my second wild card was a bit of a, 
a horror show. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, I finished with a red arrow. I took a minus four, got Zaha and Romero in, but I only scored about 67, which wasn't enough for the final game week, where, especially when it was a high scoring one with, you know, crazy scores like 5-4 in the Spurs Leicester game. If 17k was offered to you at the start of the season, would you have taken it? Yeah, probably. But I think when I was sitting at 6k, I was just like, you know, hoping to improve my rank even further and I was I was feeling quite confident about potentially even finishing the top 1k but I think you felt it as well the second half of the season nothing seemed to work out for anyone really you know with the Manchester City double game week as a prime example of um, a game week where people were expecting huge gains of rank and kind of got punished a little bit yeah for sure I mean only nine points from Jesus was really annoying I want to talk about my final uh, kind of outcome so 300k which is a yeah, it's not the best season. We've got 56 minus four on the last day and ending fitting for the start, really. I mean, the Sterling captaincy didn't come off. I had the last hurrah with Arnie, which was quite good. But, you know, I've had 12K, 2K and 21K finishes in the past. But you know, this time, ending at 300K, you know, sometimes I looked at you, especially in the first half of the season, thought he's another world, to be honest. Linked to this, I looked at my hits, which is kind of the first kind of topic we're going to talk about quickly. So this season, Nick, I look at my hits in detail. I took 22 hits. As a way to look at those uh, immediate returns, I gained 236 points from the players I brought in. And those I took out scored 151. So far, so good. Issue is, if we add the hits, which is 88 points, I get to a total uh, loss of 239 points. So it means the net effect of all of my hits this season was a minus three. <laughs> um, and, uh, another damning stat is that those coming in scored a 10.0 and those coming out scored 7.1 so I need an extra 0.9 for my income to justify my outgoings it just didn't happen to me this season like, you'll remember I took uh, chances in places didn't pay off so you know, I sold Salah in game week 3 for Richarlison I bought in Sanchez in 26 I bought in Sanchez in 34 might be a theme there I mean Andy on the scout cast mentioned the open goal for Sanchez in 27 and that miss and I think that's going to be the abiding memory of what this season is and the final thing obviously 8 missed penalties 45 points more I could have got I reckon I don't think it would have been good enough though I mean I think those 45 points would have gotten me to above 200k but the reality was it it really wasn't a good season for me. I'm just hoping to be able to put this down to a blip and have a strong season next year. Yeah, I think you were chasing points a fair bit during the season and that meant that you gambled on a few differentials. You took a few um, elective hits that perhaps you shouldn't have. You know, you took a gamble, for instance, on Sanchez when when you had a, a decent player around a similar price in midfield. I think it was Mares or someone who could have easily got you a huge haul anyway. And I, I tended, to, in, in contrast, to avoid the uh, elective hits where I could in in total, I only took 44 points, so that's half of what you took. But then I think there have been stages, especially in the second half of the season, where I should have taken more hits. And I think the final game week is one where I really should have done a minus eight, but I was put off by it. I was like, why am I going to do a minus eight in the final game week? Is it really worth it? I was worried about the mini-league, even though I won it relatively comfortably in the end. And yeah. I was worried about taking too big a hit and you know overexposing myself. But I really should have, because... I made a I made a minus four, got rid of William, which was a good move for Zaha. Got rid of De Gea because we knew he wasn't going to start. And I got in Romero, who got me seven points. And then I really should have got rid of one of my defenders because four of my five defenders scored zero points in oh. the final game week. And who I was looking at was PVA, who got 18 points, and Robertson, who also got 18 points. I mean, what the hell? You know, just like avoided the mindset. So I think... Definitely in some stages, the minus eight is worth it. And I actually took a minus eight um, on the final game week of last season, uh, which you reminded me of on on the last week's pod or the week before. And uh, 
yeah, I really probably should have done it this week because um, last season I scored a triple figure score in, in the final game week. And I think the final game week's one of those where you know a lot of players aren't necessarily going to play and you know the teams that are really going to go out and, you know, perform. Perhaps an example is Liverpool. And I really should have looked at someone like Robertson and thought he's definitely going to start. In terms of hits then, I mean, you mentioned elective hits there. What's the lesson you've learned this season in terms of taking hits, if anything? Uh, well, I guess the lesson learned is if you don't feel confident that you've got 11 players that are definitely going to start and you're confident that could get a decent haul, then um, then by all means take a hit, especially if there's someone you're looking at, you know, who's relatively cheap who you think can easily get a clean sheet or could easily score, then go for it. But don't take too many hits if it's a case of, oh, Sterling hasn't scored in a couple of game weeks and Mares has scored in a couple of game weeks. Don't go ahead and sell Sterling for Mares if if Mares is playing, I don't know, Huddersfield and Sterling's playing United. Just maybe hold this guy because you know that at the end of the day, you have him in your team for a reason because he's, you know, performs really well in the for the rest of the season. And that's the reason you brought him in in the first place. So sometimes have a little bit more faith in your players if they blank for a couple of game weeks, because it's, it's not necessarily a drop in form. It's just a, it's just a coincidence that the chances didn't pay off. So always look at the underlying stats as well before you make a move and take a hit. In the past, your patience that you were espousing didn't, didn't quite work for you. I remember like, uh, noticeably Eden Hazard a couple of seasons ago, you kept faith in him for absolutely ages, didn't you? And like that didn't pay dividends. But this year, it has really worked for you. And you, know, you can see it borne out in the difference between you and me. Like, I think I'm going to try to be more patient next year, be more, more chilled about making removal, like maybe give it an extra week, unless obviously injury or something like that. I think you know, this year I took a few too many chances and I could have racked up a fairly decent OR if I just stuck to something. I think maybe I even overestimated how far back I was. At 200k, if I'd have got a couple more standard Salah captains, maybe got a bit more luck with the penalties, <laughs> I think I could have easily gotten into the top 100k. I just, I think I played it a bit too extreme in terms of the hits. Some of the choices weren't quite right. You took a few gambles as well with a free hit like Ozil and, and stuff like that. And I think, yeah, you were chasing points to a certain extent. And I've done that in previous seasons as well. I remember the stupid decision once of, of bringing in Aruna Kone um, as a Lukaku cover. <laughs> and, you know, like, what the hell was that? Thinking there, you know, yeah. that was a dodgy season for me. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, hopefully that's my one out of the way now. Let's move on, the Nick, and let's move on to kind of a little bit of thinking about next season and value and price. And uh, at the start of last season, we looked at pricing, probably the first article we did, wasn't it? And predicted it'd be it would be tough to fit everybody in. Um, as it happened, the nine point zero most of our ended up being all you needed. But you know, that's uh, by the by, really. Um, Nick, just a quick tidbit, actually. Mo scored 1% of all FPL points this season, and he scored 14.6% of all Liverpool's points with 303, which is the highest percentage of players scored of a team's points, um, I think in the last three seasons at least. But anyway, in 2016-17, we saw the cheapness the season before of Ali and Ericsson at 8.5. Coutinho, remember, was 8.0. And in the tailwind of Leicester's title win, Vardy was 10 million, for example. Um, this year, what we've seen is the United midfield, Pogba and Mickey, remember him? and 8.0 at the start of the season the assist machine then the Liverpool midfield in, in Mo Salah filled the gap a little bit with uh, City Sterling 8.0 was kind of there too I think that um, next season we're surely going to see the City Liverpool United players go up by 0.5 to 1 million at least right 9.0 each for all the City mids rather than the scarcely believable 8.0 Sterling was 7.8 at one point you know you, can't, you can see Raheem Sterling at 10.0 can't you 
and the Spurs players to stay the same. So if we're thinking about pricing and what's going to happen next year, I think we're going to see Mickey and Rambo surely have got to be 7.5-ish. I mean, who do you think is going to go up and who do you think is going to go down after this season's events? So I think we're definitely going to see price rises, obviously. So Lars going to be extremely expensive, probably the most expensive player in the game. But with his output, I, I still think he's a must for your your team next season. Sterling is definitely going to see a price rise. And the other Manchester City midfielders will see price rises for as well. The likes of Sane, I think he's only 8.5 at the beginning of the season. He'll be a bit more expensive. Um, the likes of David Silva was quite cheap as well. He'll be, he'll, he could potentially be nine. I think... Um, you know, Ericsson, he might go up to 10 potentially. Ali will probably be about the same as what he started at. Uh, Son may even increase as well because he was relatively cheap. I think you're going to find some bargains out there. And every season there always is a bargain. I think the likes of Lingard, he potentially could have a breakthrough season next season. He um, he finished the season only at six, but so he's probably going to have a price rise. But if he's around seven or 7.5, there's not really that many options in the Manchester United midfield, to be honest. So I think he might be someone to look out for as a decent price. I think um, we'll see uh, Firmino. He'll have another increase as well because he was relatively cheap at the beginning of the season. He could potentially be 10 million and you might get priced out of him, unfortunately. But I think um, Otsal, Sanchez, they'll see price falls. They um, didn't really have a great season, either of them, to be honest. You know, never really in our thoughts because of their price and just not being affordable. Hazard will probably still remain too expensive, but... I did have a quick look at Cesc Fabregas, actually. He started at 7.0 and only managed 89 points um, all season due to this sort of bit part role, which is uh, actually less than his uh, non-attacking teammate Kante. But Fabregas actually managed to create 89 chances, unbelievably the same amount of points he finished with, and only KDB and Ericsson managed more. They only resulted in five assists, but if... If he was creating those chances for someone like better than Morata, then uh, if Chelsea buy a decent forward, they get a new <laughs> yeah. manager in who likes Fabregas, looks at the online stats, and I say, actually, this guy's a really good creator. He could be someone who's down to 6.5, 6.0, even potentially, that could be a really good enabler in your team as well. Yeah, that's a really good pick, actually. For me, the guy I had to pick out was Raheem Sterling and give him a quick shout out almost because I think in the in the kind of Salah razzle dazzle, apart from him, um, I think that Sterling's my player of the season. I think if you remember back in game week six, remember he was 7.8? We weren't looking at him at all, were we? We, we all thought that you know, Bilver had come in to take his place and um, we all thought that he was really finished there. We'd offered to Arsenal. And no one was looking at him at all. But to come back and to be um, so effective this season, if he is 10.0 next year, he might be one who's worth looking at. In terms of points per 90, he's second to the Salah this season with 8.0 points per 90 versus 9.4 Salah. Um, again, underlining how ridiculous Salah has been. A quick stat on Sterling as well, Nick. Sterling retained his crown as the top fantasy assist deliverer this season. He got six, beating out Richarlison, uh, and then Sanchez and Zahar on four, and Ali diving down on three. Uh, last season, he got a scarcely believable eight FPL assists. Antonio and Eriksson were second on fifth. So... Sterling has the goals and assists in his locker, but he's also got kind of the uh, the, the jammy extra points in his locker too. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, I got Sterling in on my game week eight wild card, and he was one of the key um, players in in my early success in the early season. Uh, that really boosted my rank with his um, consistent performances. I mean, he finished with 18 goals, 17 assists, which is uh, unbelievable. I think my only fear with Sterling, he's going to be very expensive. And he, he was sort of rotated quite a bit. You know, Sane, uh, Bernardo Silva was always looking for game time. Um, 
you know, Agrero and Jesus um, will be back probably at the start of the season next season. And I'm sure that Pep will probably buy another attacking winger, maybe even two. I think Fred's joining potentially. So is there's going to be so much competition. You always worry about that Manchester City team and who's going to start. And if Sterling's up to 10.5 and I can't trust him to start, I'm not sure how much I can trust him next season because it's going to be so tight. You know, you, you only have about three or four really premium players that you can afford. If you want your Salars, if you want your Canes, and you also want your Sterlings, you're going to sort of crucify the rest of your team and just have obliterate them for price. Yeah, no, absolutely. And trying to fit everyone in next year, I think, is going to be very difficult. And I think you are going to have to make choices which are even more amplified. And I think the herd effect is definitely going to kick in as well. I think we're going to see kind of people making convincing cases for why you should have player X in your team, which means player Y, especially in the early weeks, is going to be ignored in favour of the current darling of, you know, the, the Twitter sphere or the, or the forums or something like that. Who do you think is going to be essential early on, Nick? Um, I mean, I've got a few suggestions here. and I think maybe Aubameyang is, is number one. We learned a couple of weeks ago that the Premier League fixture computer keeps apart uh, top teams or the top six, seven teams on, on the first day. So he's fairly on to have a good uh, game with one fixture. And I think with the effectiveness he's, he's kind of shown this year, he's only played half the season. He's in the top four for points per 90, or Bamiang 7.4. Um, I think he's going to reach near Kaku levels of, of ownership in game week one. Then you've got Salah. I think we're going to see people in the beginning thinking, you know, if he's given 13.0 or 12.5, People are going to be looking at him going, oh, you know what, I can create a rebalanced team without him. It's like he's a new Kane almost. And by game week one, people are going to have Salah in their team, I reckon. Um, Sterling, we're not sure on. And I think De Gea at the back is going to, in goal, sorry, is going to be the one um, to have. So I think that's going to be, what, 40, 45% of your budget tied up in three or four players? Yeah, potentially. I think Aubameyang's a really good pick, uh, potentially from the start of the season. I think with Kane and Salah, they're all going to be about, you know, like we said, 13 million each. So you'll see a lot of people thinking, oh, I'm going to try and cover Kane by getting in Ali or Ericsson. I'm going to try and cover Salah by getting Firmino. And then you'll see more of a balanced team. Potentially they'll be able to afford some more premium defenders, the likes of Aspilicueta or Kyle Walker, because, because of the fact that they've gone for the slightly cheaper option at Liverpool and Spurs. But for me, it's tough. I know everyone says Kane can't score in August, so maybe we should all avoid Harry Kane at the beginning of the season. But I definitely can't avoid uh, Mo Salah, especially with the returns and, like you said, his, his percentages and just, you know, what he managed to do this season was incredible. And I think Firmino, he had a great season as well. But in terms of attacking output, he just doesn't match Salah. I mean, Salah ended up with an incredible record-breaking 303 points, which is a whole 122 points more than Firmino. So I'd be willing to pay that extra for Salah, who is a midfielder as well. So he always, any goal he gets, he gets an extra point for any um, clean sheet Liverpool gets. He also gets a, a cheeky extra point. So he definitely offers a little bit more, I think. So for me, he's essential. He's the, definitely definitely the one player that I'm going to start with and I'm not going to avoid. Because if you don't start with Salah, you're just going to bring him in after game week three, after you missed the first two hauls, probably. Yeah, exactly. It depends a little bit on the World Cup and how much recovery he's got and all this kind of usual caveats, but I think it's going to be really difficult to go without him. Interesting stat on Kane, Nick. Um, 
He's retained his crown as the number one realised bonus point scorer. So he scored the most bonus points this season and something he did last season as well with 31 bonus points scored. Last year, he scored 33. And second this season is Firmino. In third is Vardy and in fourth is Salah. And we're not going to talk about bonus points too much because we've got an article coming up on that. But, I mean, does that surprise you that the Canes finished uh, so highly compared to where Salah has? There's a five-point difference there. I'm not surprised because I was I was around week in, week out and I was seeing Salah not get his bonus points and everyone complaining online saying, why has Salah not got the bonus and everything and all the drama around it week in, week out? And it's because of the amount of chances he would snatch and, you know, he'd get into the right spaces and they wouldn't always go in the back of the net. It's like Richarlison. His, Richarlison, I think, was third from midfielders for shots. It was ridiculous, but the guy never got any bonus points because 99% of his shots didn't go in the back of the net. And that's just the way the bonus point system works. But like you said, you're going to write an article about it anyway. And yeah, I think Kane, he would just score a penalty and that would be it. Three bonus points guaranteed. Yeah, for sure. Like a 24 for a goal strikers. Um, so if we're saying that Aubameyang and you know, maybe Salah are going to be parts of our team, I think that there's going to be a bit more choice next year. And I think there's a couple of impacts of that on there, Nick. And I think the first is thinking about points for value and thinking about where we're going to be making sacrifices in order to afford high-priced players. So if we're saying that you know, um, you're know you going to have Aubameyang, you're going to have Salah, you're going to have maybe a Tottenham midfielder to cover Kane, you're going to have a United defender at the back perhaps, and if you, uh, or De Gea, if you're going to have Sterling as well, um, that's a lot of your budget taken out. And someone somewhere is going to have to pay the price, aren't they, Nick? And you've been looking a little bit at points per value, uh, specifically with regards to uh, the third forward position. Yeah, so I've been looking at forwards in general and, and their output. And I think the third striker is definitely a position that's is dying within the game. It's always been a bit of a sore topic who who your third striker is, how they're just consistently, you know, not getting returns or even starting half the time. I mean, this is a guy, unless you go for like the power front three, which a few people did across the season, this is a guy who can cost up to 7.5 million and you cheer him on week in, week out, but you, you very rarely actually see this guy score. Nowadays, you know, most clubs actually start with only one forward and there's, there's quite a lot of rotation in the position. I think looking at the Premier League, there was only sort of three clubs that really had a sort of nailed on number nine all season. That was um, Spurs, United and Liverpool with Kane, Lukaku and Firmino. Otherwise, you had like with City, you had, you know, the Kun-Jesus rivalry. Arsenal um, had a bit of rivalry between Aubameyang and Lacazette and Chelsea, you had Murata and Giroud and even like the middle lower table clubs, Brighton, Watford, Huddersfield, Southampton all have plenty of forwards. And I thought about this position and how I always seem to have these, like someone like Ayu or whoever in there, Jay Rodriguez at one point. And next season, I'm just not going to bother with that position at all. I'm probably just going to put in some 4.5 guy and just let him rot on the bench. Because um, instead, I'm going to ramble on a little bit about defenders. And uh, I think the cases of uh, PVA and Robertson getting 18 points in the final game week was a really good sort of example of this. I mean, that's a very rare haul for a defender, but also for a forward, actually. I mean... We saw, uh, we saw what Kaney did and we saw what Kun did and, and uh, they were the only ones that actually beat that score and, and the requirement is a hat-trick and an assist at least. But um, what's less rare is a 15-pointer from Defender and we actually saw 25 instances of Defenders scoring returns like this, much, much higher than the instances for forwards. And um, even the likes of Lukaku, Firmino and Vardy didn't manage a 15-point haul all season. 
data definitely seems to be bearing out the fact that, you know, I think you said at the start of the season, didn't you, that there's going to be a lot of value in defence. And despite the last kind of few weeks being more up for grabs in terms of whether a defender keeps a clean sheet or not, for the vast majority of the season, a lot of the clean sheets, especially as far as you were concerned, I mean, you know, a, a Clark Van Gogh aside, mm-hmm. a lot of the time the defenders that you chosen were more likely than not to churn out a clean sheet, weren't they? Yeah, definitely. And I, I guess um, in terms of halls, I think the halls actually flatter the strikers because we're talking about a little bit about points per value. And this is um, sort of a metric where you divide the total points by the player price. And um, when we did our review, we did it against the closing price. And only one forward appeared in the top 50 best value players of this season. And that was Ozzy Perez. And I guess that shows there's there's no real value in the market. Um, in comparison, 21 defenders appeared with Aspel Equator. He proved the best value defender in the game. He, he did really well. And I think he's someone I'm definitely going to be looking at next season, hoping he's not um, priced at 7.0 and gets a 6.5. Um, incidentally, the, the man we talk about a lot, Tom, Alan Yom, we always talk about how his price was a bit, you know, iffy, a bit too expensive considering who he is and what he offers. Finishing at 4.7, he actually ranked 182nd for value this season. And he beat the likes of Lukaku, Lacazette and Sanchez Wow! in terms of <laughs> value. So he actually was he actually ended up better value than Lukaku. And um, and I, I guess it's also bucks the trend of the rotated strikers. Lukaku was a 90 minute man. And if, if you can't trust him to to really haul because he never got a 15 point, then what's the point of having someone like Lukaku in your team when you could distribute the money better out to sort of these really good value players like Aspen Equator, who, who equaled Deli Ali for points this season and, and Dallas picks for like, um, like Jan Vertonghen, for instance. I, I guess the question will be like what FPL Towers do about this striker position because we saw last season they tried to mend it a little bit. They uh, reclassified uh, Firmino and King as forwards. And I'm thinking we're going to talk about Talisman theory in a minute. That I could... Zaha or Nautovic even be reclassified as forwards? I, I don't think that like they've done quite enough to, to earn the reclassification. There's one on Salah as well, but I think Salah was genuinely playing on the left, the drifting. He was, yeah. Um, so I, I don't think any of them are going to be reclassified. I'd be very surprised. But with Arnautovic particularly, and we'll talk about them in a second, Like uh, with Arnautovic particularly, I think it'd be very harsh if he is reclassified as a striker um, just because he played that role in the last games of Moises Reign. Is that enough? I don't know. One thing to point out, actually, is that Josh King is likely to be declassified as a striker, maybe reclassified as a midfielder, because that's where he's been playing the majority of this season. Um, so he could be somebody who's uh, who's worth a look. In terms of points per value, then, Nick, I think we both noticed something particularly interesting about the, uh, about the top 10, didn't we? They all seem to be gravitating towards one position on the pitch. Yeah, we did, actually. Of the top 20, uh, seven were actually goalkeepers, and they were all right at the top as well. So it wasn't just Dave's saves that were huge value in the, in the market. It was also Pope's, Fab's, Pickers, Lossell's, Ryan's, and believe it or not, Foster's as well. But um, you can only pick one goalkeeper. You can't go for a sort of a triple, a three goalkeepers at the back formation. So we can't really rabbit on too much about that. But I guess that also shows that De Gea... Whilst he was a really good pick, you know, the 4.5 goalkeeper, you can find some really good value goalkeepers there as well. I think Matty Ryan was someone that did really well in particular this season. Um, 
less said about the 4.0 options like Rob Elliott, the better. One outlier, apart from Salah in, in the top 20 in terms of value, was uh, Pascal Gross. Pascal, the creator. And uh, I guess this moves us on to Talisman Theory, Tom. So uh, Gross was 10th in terms of points for value. He was um, sick for chances created over the season. And uh, with eight assists, that's almost enough to get on the Who Got the Assist banner, maybe. Uh, with only famous creators like uh, Fabregas, Sotel and KDB and um, Ericsson doing better than him. Yeah, another stat on the gross is that he created 82 chances for Brighton this season, according to Squawker, which is exactly the same as he created the relegated Ingolstadt in 2016-17. Kevin De Bruyne is the top creator this year with 105 chances created, so not quite in his league, but uh, Mesa Ozil created 84 chances this season, uh, which is just two more than Pascal Gross, so kind of the level of player that we're dealing with here. And um, you mentioned talismans and talisman theory, and uh, John T on FFS also mentioned this. But what I had a look at in terms of the data was looking at each team, so the total points scored by teams, and the percentage of teams' points scored by the top player of those teams to have a look if you know it's worth investing in this kind of talisman figure and to see if there's anything particularly relevant. I think you'd be expecting, you know, um, a team to have one player who at least scores you know seven or eight percent of their output but the more I looked at it the more there's definitely mileage and considering maybe the one key player of each team and especially plugging those kind of gaps if we have a very expensive Aubameyang, Salah and De Gea kind of setup with Sterling maybe too. So in the top 20 of Talisman, Nick, there are seven keepers who we've already kind of uh, mentioned already. Uh, there's one defender. I'm guessing you know who he is. Aspen Equator. Yeah, Aspen Equator. And um, there are three strikers and there are nine midfielders in terms of Talisman. Pascal Gross was the Talisman for Brighton. He scored 11.7% of their points this season, which is pretty crazy. For context, most last scored 14.6% of Liverpool's points, as I said. Can you name who the second best Talisman this year was, Nick? Was it Milojevic? No, it wasn't. It was Riyad Mahrez, Nick. He uh, scored 13.4% of Leicester's uh, points. In third was Jordan Shakiri with 12.2% and uh, Kane with 112 um, kind of going down the list. Uh, Arnautovic came in at 10.2%, which was the same level as Sterling. So I think that these guys, they contribute so much to their teams, don't they? I mean, last season, uh, for context as well, Sigurdsson, 14.4% of Swansea's points. Absolutely ridiculous. And Sanchez with 137 of Arsenal's points. I think it might be worth identifying these talismans at the start of next year, Nick, and having like maybe some sort of feature or something on them just to see how they're doing and whether they can keep this level of kind of output up. I think with Gross scoring 11.7% of one team's points, Mahrez, I don't know if, that, if we can find an alternative to him playing somewhere else, Arnautovic probably going to play out, play a bit better. I think over the last six games, he got um, his percentage went up to 12% of his team's goals, which have put him in... Uh, his team's points, which have put him into the top three in terms of being a talisman. Zahar, actually, Milojevic scored more than him, uh, 9.9% of Berkos Palace's points. What do you think about these guys, Nick? Do you think it's worth us having a look at them next year and keeping tabs on them? Yeah, I mean, Anatovic, he didn't seem to get on with Bilic. I don't think he even scored um, when Bilic was the manager, but under Moyes, he was a changed man. He was a really crucial for um, West Ham staying in the Premier League. He's definitely one to keep an eye on and watch next season. And uh, he'll probably be subject to a price boost, maybe up to 8 million, 8.5, but still eminently affordable, potentially, and definitely a good option. Shakiri, um, unfortunately, Stoke got relegated. And uh, if someone like Spurs uh, pick him up, then he'll, he'll lose his uh, talisman personality. He might 
much like Sigerson seemed to do this season, sadly. Uh, with um, Gross, I think he's definitely someone that I'm thinking about owning next season. I think he, he was really good. And he was he was very cheap as well at the start of the season. And hopefully, you know, he'll still be relatively cheap next season as well. Very affordable. Uh, Miljojevic, yeah, he, he did really well. But I think we know that his points per value was boosted by penalty duties. But to start the season at 4.5, we were saying that he might be the best 4.5 midfielder ever to the grace of the game. Better than uh, Kapue. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then finally, Zaha. Um, he only played 28 of the 38 games this season. So that then he didn't score as high in terms of overall points as he might have. But what's interesting about this is Palace didn't actually win a game without him in the team. So he was that crucial to Palace. And if he stays at Palace, then he's definitely someone that I'm going to be watching next season. Yeah, last season he was their talisman, um, by the way. So he got 11.2% of, of their points last season. I guess it really is a time for these heroes and just just watching them and uh, ne- next season, yeah, we'll keep an eye on them. Part of this is an extension of bang theory, which I spoke about a little while ago, which is the perhaps vacuous idea. Having a majority of players in your team each week, you'd anticipate at least getting seven points from. Surely we should try to pick up these talisman where possible, along with making kind of smart picks here and there. But I think talisman theory is definitely worth a thought if you're considering those kind of third and fourth midfield slots with men like Gross, um, who should maybe be top of mind for those places. Yeah, agreed. And uh, in contrast, looking at the Manchester City players and their attacking output and the, the fact that there's so much rotation there, you know, like there's always a risk with that's what I was saying about Sterling earlier and maybe focusing on talismans within the team that you know that can start every game that will always have a healthy output regardless of the fixture and you can trust these guys I think it's definitely worth watching them yeah exactly They're those kind of cheap players who up the bracket and outperform their initial price in terms of price per value okay let's take a break there Nick and move on to the feature section who got the assist who got the assist so we're back and it's uh, time to have a final checkup on the anti-meta team and see how they got on at season end. Um, as you, I'm sure you're aware, this is a team of under 10% owned players, t- players that not necessarily in most people's teams are sort of very much against the meta and uh, we wanted to see if we could, you know, perform quite well with them. But anyway, uh, how did they get on, Tom? How did they uh, finish up? Yep, so they didn't end up very well, unfortunately, Nick. Uh, it was a 32-pointer, and Mane captain fell to deliver. 2.1 million is where they ended with less than 2,000 points, unfortunately. I think this season we saw a game week 15 high um, after the Wilson hat-trick, but by game week 23, they were down in the millions and off the map. Uh, it took a long time for the template to form, I think, this kind of shows, because we did keep it under 10% owned, didn't we, for quite a while. But... After it formed, the decline was very quick and it kind of showed that to some extent towards the kind of latter end of the season, I think maybe from kind of February, March onwards, it's very dangerous to go against that momentum that the mainstream kind of has. I guess that may show you that at the beginning of next season, um, you should maybe consider taking a few more risks. Will we continue this next season? I think probably not. I think we might stop to another thing, right, Nick, and think about over the summer and all England 11. (laughs) I think we mentioned the other day, uh, kind of half jokingly, half not. Yeah, maybe an England eleven, <laughs> maybe a, maybe a British eleven, so we can have Ben Davies in there as a talisman captain. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, the yeah. every week. How can, how can the English boys get on? It'd be interesting. We'll probably end up with like something like Jordan Henderson as a make weight in midfield or something. There's, there's that such a such a dearth of talent in, in the English uh, game at the moment. All right. The next feature this season has been your watch, and uh, we hope you've enjoyed it this season. Uh, glad we've seen him free. We've enjoyed riding with Alan, and we hope to see him back in the Premier League. I think we're probably going to change it up next season in terms of this feature. But as Nick's just mentioned, he was in the top 200 for points per value this season. He delivered one assist and he kept seven clean sheets, 70 points, which works out at 2.73 points per 90. So Nick, in the end, uh, you know, you, you said that he'd gone the way of Alan Yom in regards to another player who was overpriced. Uh, do you think Alan Yom was worth the 5.0? Uh, well, no. Uh, better value players who started at 4.5. Um, some of the Burnley guys, for instance, uh, Stephen Ward was really good value at 4.5. He had a great season, um, got injured slightly, but had a really good season. Tarko as well, um, really good value. And Ben Mee as well. Those guys had really good seasons and I think they offered better value. And also the Brighton guys, Duncan Duffy at 4.5. I think um, those guys, knowing how um, FPL Towers work, I can imagine they'll probably be 5.0. Like I said, maybe if, if Gates and Bong somehow gets 5.0, that's, that's where it's getting a little bit ridiculous perhaps. But um, I think, uh, yeah, Alan Yom, I mean, I'm sorry that he got relegated, but I think I still uh, stand by the fact that he uh, 5.0 is a little bit too expensive for him. Yeah, I think so as well. And so without further ado, here's the final Yom watch of this season. Alan Yom was spotted playing football versus Palace on the last day of the Premier League, perhaps his last time as a Premier League player for the Baggies. He took 47 touches, 20 were in the opposition half. He made 23 passes, 17 were successful. That's 74% for the data scientists out there. He made four crosses, zero were successful. He was mentioned dispatches thusly. Before the game, Alan Yon was spotted talking about the game. It's not easy because we've been relegated since our last match, but we come here hoping to keep our good form going and finish the season positively, said Alan. In the second minute, Hennessy stepped off his line to easily gather Nyom's ball in from the right. That's it for Nyom Watch this season. So if you see him driving down the M1 on deadline day or shopping for a new bed at your local dreams, do let us know. Uh, thanks to everybody who used hashtag Nyom Watch this year. And, um, you know, I, th- I think that's probably going to be it for Alan and, and us. It's the end of our relationship. We're not going to look back into the Nyom. But thanks to everybody for, for taking part this year and making it such fun. Yeah, thanks, guys. I think we are going to be potentially creating some Neon Watch mugs as well, though. So look out for that on Twitter. We might be giving out some for free or something in a little competition at some point. And um, and we know um, the top of the league, which we'll get onto in a second, uh, the winner's going to get a Neon Watch mug as well. Yeah, cool. Cool. Right. Um, so in lieu of uh, market forces uh, this week, which obviously doesn't really... Uh, no, it doesn't exist. Um, we're going to be talking about our Prospecting the Prospect series, which is going to return over the summer. And um, this is our formulaic article that models a player's FPL performance in whatever league they were playing in last season and uh, suggests where they may be in the game and what kind of player they may be. And uh, I picked out a few last summer uh, we did. And 
and and some from this January as well, which were also helped by Con um, FPL.com on Twitter, a member of our little Slack group as well. So I think a noticeable success very early on. Mo Salah initially we wrote that the stats were in Salah's favour, and if Liverpool keep playing heavy metal football, there's a, a really exciting prospect. And we gave him a four point two five basically, didn't we? And I think we, we were quite quite good with that one we got that one kind of uh, dead on so I think that was the first one we were really excited about in terms of this se- season although we couldn't really anticipate the fact that he was a five out of five you know going to set the league on fire kind of guy yeah definitely I think um, in the pre-season there's still a lot of talk about the red roulettes and we talked about how um, you know oh, yeah, the points the previous season were shared between Mane, Coutinho, Firmino you could never really guess which one would get the points and people trying sideways moves, trying to chase the points in the Liverpool team. And that was a very common theme of the season before. But this season, Salah smashed it out of the park. He definitely won the red roulette. You know, you just put your chips on Salah week in, week out, and he would get you returns. And that was um, definitely a trend of this season that we saw. Yeah, for sure. Um, he, he was just at 9.0, I think, the you know the, the FPL player of... Well, I mean, Suarez, perhaps, um, I've had a lot of joy out of him. I remember kind of looking at every Norwich fixture and thinking, yep, nailed on captain there. And he always seemed to score a hat-trick, didn't he, against them, at least. Um, but Salah this year has just been incredible. And I think that, you know, we're all guilty of uh, falling prey to the herd fear of Kane, to some extent. Another good one we got was Aubameyang. Um, noted that he'd scored 0.97, I think, goals per game in the Bundesliga. And we said that 28 in his prime, coming in from a league, carrying similar physicality, um, he might hit the ground running. And uh, yeah, we got 4.5 and got that one bang on, really. Um, but I just wanted to highlight as well, just to, you know, we've mentioned a couple ones did quite well. And we are going to keep doing this. And sometimes, even though sort of player looks good in other leagues, for whatever reason, doesn't quite work here. One player that I thought would do very well was Avara Maratonic. Um, I looked at his his stats for last uh, for the seasons that he was a bit part player on Madrid, and when he played, kind of the majority of games at Juventus, and the goals per minute were, was really good. And I said that he had a lot of really good potential, and he could be a fantastic captaincy option eventually for Chelsea, who had a very good early run, if you remember. Uh, we gave him a four point two five as well, but it didn't really work with him, did it? And it looked like Giroud was actually the player that Conte wanted all along. Yeah, Morata didn't have the uh, the best of seasons. He started off um, pretty strongly, actually, and even netted a hat-trick in one of the early games. But um, as soon as I made that decision to go for Morata instead of Firmino, that's, that's when everything sort of went dead for him. And it looks like he might even be leaving Chelsea now. I, I think they need someone who's uh, a little bit stronger in the number nine position. And uh, yeah, despite um, building quite a good relationship with Aspilicueta, who seems to assist him a record five times or something ridiculous for a defender to a forward. Yeah, Morata just didn't really settle in the Premier League and it didn't work out for him. And, you know, Salah did really well in Italy. But, you know, a lot of what we talked about actually when we discussed Salah moving to the Premier League is the fact that the Premier League game is a lot tougher than playing in Serie A. It's, you know, it's a lot faster paced. The, you know, the defenders tackle that little bit harder. And we've seen many people who've done well in Italy in the past, fail in the Premier League, like Quadrado, for instance. And and Salah had previously actually failed at Chelsea. So we thought, you know, will he actually repeat his heroics in the Premier League? It was always it was always a 50-50. And just what he did last season, he just absolutely dominated. Yeah, definitely. We are going to look at all manner of players um, and kind of estimate their FPL scores and things like that. Uh, to this extent, I pulled out one, Nick, that you remember fondly. 
about your uh, Vicente Ibora, uh, the glowing review you wrote of him. Um, <laughs> uh, you said that Ibora has some potential for our squads and a keen eye for goal and the ability to pay further forward. Um, he could begin to figure in our thinking um, and he may well prove us wrong. Um, and you gave him a 2.5, uh, which is a, an average or a reasonable prospect for us. I gave him a 2. Um, so I guess that kind of shows that it's not always kind of plain sailing, is it, when we're translating what they can do and what they've done in other leagues, as you've said. Um, well, I think Ibora, he didn't really get too much game time in the end. I still think, um, you know, he's actually managed to, he started looking good um, near the close season before he got his injury. He scored um, two goals in a row, scored against West Brom, and then he scored against Brighton. He still definitely offers a lot of attacking prospects. So I wouldn't necessarily write him off quite yet, Tom. We'll see how he gets on next season. Uh, but, um you know, you wrote, you gave a Pascal Grosser too, actually. So you know, know we get know. for a reason. Yeah, <laughs> it's sometimes very hard to read, isn't it? How well someone's going to do, and you know, you've got to take it with a pinch of salt. Of course, like we're just doing one way of doing it, another way of looking at it is profile the football player. The only reason we do it with an FPL kind of modelling is because you end up with a discrepancy, like Will Hughes, who we gave a one point five, I think. No, not really doing very much for Derby, more of a midfield kind of ball carrier slash assisting the assister kind of guy. Uh, whereas on the other hand, if you look at his kind of uh, his playing ability, you know, they're making kind of uh, links to Xavi and that kind of level when you kind of overestimate the player a bit. So that's why we look at it. And uh, hopefully over the summer, it's going to be useful. I think the first one we're going to do is Diogo Jota from Wolves, um, who may well figure in our frontline plans if we don't think there's a death of a third striker in the end. OK, uh, so let's take a break over Nick and we'll move on to the uh, the final community session of the season. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? So we're back for the final time this season. Um, it's time to catch up on who got the assist mini league and uh, Nick's across this as usual. Yeah, and it was a really exciting um, finish to the who got the assist mini league. It was uh, yeah, right. went down to the final game week. It was between three managers and it was really tight. Um so we'll we'll go through the top ten actually this um, this game week just as a sort of summary of uh, the guys that finished in the top ten. So well done to all of you guys. You all did really well. I think uh, uh, actually you all finished in the top one k as well. So that's that's brilliant stuff. Um, so the tenth it was uh, Tiago Costa, uh, one of our friends on Twitter. He, uh, the Red Eagle team. He scored uh, sixty seven points. Finished with two three eight five, which is a uh, a great score uh, in ninth. It was Andrew Ferguson. He's, he's been around since the start. I think he was leading the, the mini league back in game week one or two. Uh, two girls, one schlup, uh, 71 points, two, three, nine, one. In eighth, it was Luke Shaw, boom shakalaka, 83 points. He scored in the final game week and finished um, with a brilliant score of two, three, nine, two. Seventh, um, Ben Sutton, another one of the mainstays in the league. Uh, the Terabads, 65 points in the final game week, but managed to get that seventh position in the end with 2-3-9-4. Uh, climbing up in the final game week was uh, D-Boy with D-Boy United. He got 85 points and scored 2,401. And then uh, in fifth, it was Brent Wilde, the Mad Dogs. He only got 60 points in his final game week, but finished with 2,414 points. An overall rank of 309, which is brilliant. Fourth, it was Cruise Control, Stevie Sunshine, another one of the mainstays. He got 83 points in the final game week. A great finish. Uh, uh, finished overall rank 286 with 2,415 points. And then it, the finally, it was the top three. So Damitane, he was number one in the world at one point. He had a great season. Drifted off a little bit near the end with Lalana Land. He um, finished uh, with only 55 points. 
but scored 2,449 overall rank at the end of the season was 65, which is brilliant. Uh, Heroes and villains, Simon Rutherford, he finished second. Another one of our Twitter friends, he finished with a score of 2,451 points and an overall rank of 58, which is brilliant. And then uh, top of the league, um, another guy from Twitter, Jamal Rice. Team name, he scored 83 points in the final game week. He said on Twitter, after losing his top spot a week before, that he would gain it back, and he certainly did with 83 points. Total score of uh, 2,461 and overall rank of 34. So very well done, Jamal. He's from Barbados, so somehow we're going to have to try and get a Neon Watch mug over to Barbados. But uh, yeah, we'll have to look into how we're going to do that. But uh, yeah, let us know via Twitter your address and we can sort that out for you, mate. Yeah, exactly. Well done, Jamal. A final day uh, transfer in. It was a minus eight, actually, so it was a lot closer than, uh, than it looked. But a final day transfer in of, uh, of Zahar and uh, Romero and uh, Jordan and I used to go on your bench and the bench boost definitely uh, did the business for you a uh, really unlucky Simon Rutherford who uh, well, did take the league as Nick said but um, just couldn't hold on at the end but yeah fantastic seller seasons for them and everybody else in the top 10 indeed just a few shout outs as well to everybody as we come to the end the first thing is the Slack team so Marco uh, Matt Ed Ewan Goops uh, FPL Stag Alex at Alex Wars Baby Ball and Con at FPL.com for helping us out and a special shout out to all of our amazing guests this year that is Ewan Alex Ball uh, who came on twice he co-hosted and guested FPL Connect Ben Crellin FPL Stag and Tom from 90 Matt Stag and uh, Tom commiserations about the FBAs but they're both you know, very worthy nominees and it'd be great to keep an eye on them and see how they go next year and last but not least, uh, obviously, Lee and Sam from FPL Family. I haven't forgotten you, I promise. Uh, absolutely fantastic to you know, banter and speak to them all year long. Um, really lovely guys. And you know, we'll hopefully have them, uh, have them on for another kind of uh, FPL Family WGCA mashup at some point uh, at some point in the new season. And um, on our Twitter page, there's a list of people who uh, have made the community so great for us this year. Yeah, final shout out from the uh, as part of the community section. Um, one of our friends is, um, if you're interested in Alexa, one of our friends has actually written a football challenge quiz. So if you search for football challenge quiz on Alexa, you should be able to uh, find it. And it's a quiz based on sort of the FPL and also uh, a little bit of European and World Cup questions thrown in as well. And if you've got any feedback, he'd he'd love to hear from you and uh, drop him an email at footballchallengequiz at gmail.com. And finally, Nick, some stats about our pods this year. So this is our 40th pod. We've made 39 podcasts plus one lost one. Um, I also made a couple of streams too. Recorded nearly 100 hours of content, Nick. So 100 hours of you and me talking, imagine. We've had nearly 100,000 listens, which mind-blowing, frankly. Uh, thanks so much for that. Uh, we've done 13 Young Watches, and we've also said we're back on 146 occasions now, considering this is the 40th pod. It's been a great season. We've really enjoyed it. We're definitely going to continue doing this. I think we felt very green when we first did our um, initial pod, didn't we, Tom? But, uh, you know, now we kind of feel like to have done 40 prods to him here that we've done that many is uh pretty incredible and it's it's been um you know a really sort of eye-opening experience really looking forward to doing it for another year tom we'll definitely be back this year definitely get involved i think over the summer we're both kind of uh going to be focusing a bit on the writing uh taking a bit of a back seat in terms of podding you're gonna be well covered everywhere uh, with many other pods continuing for for the world cup i think it's time for us to recharge our batteries a little bit especially if you having a new baby me having a new job there's going to be prospects in the prospects there's going to be an article on bonus um there's a theme to each pod as well tom 
the last time it was Game of Thrones. There's a bit of an obvious theme, I think, by the amount of uh, references we were shoehorning in every chance we get. This this week, I think, is going to be a bit more of a challenge. But um, Jill got it last week, so well done, Jill, for for picking up the theme, being first to to notice the theme. That's it, really. So have a great summer, everybody. Enjoy the World Cup. We hope you've enjoyed listening to us this year, and we shall be around. Thanks for assisting us by listening in during this amazing first season of Who Got the Assist. Have a great summer. Enjoy the World Cup, and we'll be around. And yeah, continue to check our website for articles on prospecting the prospects, etc. Yeah, we'll be back when the fixtures are out for our first podcast of 2018-2019. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Um, right. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, That's a rendition of my uh, wife singing the Who Got the Assist song. <laughs> oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Sports Social Podcast Network. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com.